0: This is the OANDA podcast.
1: You're listening to the OANDA Market Insights podcast, where we preview and review all the big business and market stories from around the world with OANDA senior market analysts from across the globe. And today it is Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. Let's start with the markets. Comments from Jay Powell earlier in the week still having an effect on the markets. They're a bit edgy and uh, it's all about higher bond yields.
0: Yeah, I mean, the bond yields have been rising prior to the actual um, address, which is why um, it was so important. The appearance before the Senate Banking Committee on Tuesday and then the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday, semi-annual monetary policy report. Uh, we it, All eyes were on that. It was, can Jerome Powell appease the markets? Can he be dovish enough to get them back on board and Suppress those bond yields once again, and the answer is no. Temporarily, it was a yes. Um, he said something on Wednesday, which which seemed to just soothe uh, investors a little bit, but it's it just bounced straight back. And we look today, and we're still seeing the acceleration in bond yields. We're seeing stock markets selling off. The U.S. is um, it is not too bad. We're seeing a bit. It's a bit of a heavier sell-off in Europe. But this is not just a U.S. yield story. We're seeing yields across the board actually uh, rising um, and accelerating. And I think that's the concern here. Is this anticipation that we could potentially see higher inflation, which effectively forces policymakers' hands? Uh, Jerome Powell was as dovish as he can be. He talked about how he thinks that that they have the tools if necessary. They don't think there's going to be inflation. They don't think there's going to be permanent inflation, um, and 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 that they're in no rush to be tightening monetary policy at all. But um, investors either just don't buy it, or they think that he's underestimating the problem at hand, um, and. It's going to be really interesting to see what it takes to actually calm this down, whether it is going to take actual action from the Federal Reserve or enough talk can get it over the line, or if time will just pass and the markets will start to settle down again. But right now there are jitters. We're not in full ta- full tapered tantrum mode by any stretch of the imagination, but there's certainly plenty of jitters in, in the markets right now.
1: Markets rose yesterday, though, didn't they, after Jerome Powell wrapped up his testimony by assuring... The markets that interest rates would remain low for longer, but they are suffering the reverse today. Why, Why was that?
0: Well, it's just simply because the the markets aren't buying into it effectively. Uh, uh, we look at where yields are, and this isn't just in the U.S. We're seeing yields rising in the U.S., the U.K., uh, Germany, France, Italy. We're seeing them rise all over the place. So this isn't just a U.S.-centric thing. So Jerome Powell can say all these things. But if, if, if investors think that inflation is going to rise anyway and that the central banks are underestimating it uh, or the Fed is underestimating it uh, and, and think they'll be forced to act whether they want to or not later in the year, then the the wall the, the words kind of fall on deaf ears whether it is that extreme or whether this is a, 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 no, a number of factors really filtering into this one is the kind of lack of understanding about what's to come and the kind of fears about what could be. And then it becomes a little self-fulfilling when, every, when you start to see the markets moving and more people talk about it and it kind of it kind of feeds into that or whether it's um, whether this is just a sign of the frothiness that's in the markets. There's been a lot of talk at the moment about the fact that these markets are frothy. Uh, we're seeing it about equity markets. We're obviously seeing a lot of speculation. We saw the return of games GameStop this week, rallied 100% on, on Wednesday and then rallied another 100% overnight on Wednesday. Wednesday night in, in aftermarket hours um so we we'll see uh, and obviously there's, there's still the talk of bitcoin which we were talking about last week surging to new highs again uh, there's there's a lot of talk of frothiness in these markets and the maybe this yield spiking at a time we're talking about frothy markets maybe this just all feeds into the kind of negativity that we see and what we effectively see over a period of time is a bit of a pullback in the markets people become a little bit happier and everything settles down again maybe it's going to be more maybe this does turn into a full taper tantrum i think that's what's going to make next week so interesting is because we're not in taper tantrum taper tantrum mode yet but if this continues then it's only it's only going to exacerbate the kind of negativity that we see building up in the markets at the minute
1: we'll talk about next week in a moment or two because there is plenty going on but you mentioned bitcoin now it hit its record high last weekend around the sixty thousand dollar mark but it's not had a good week has it
0: no it's um so last weekend we heard from uh, elon musk and just one of these off-the-cuff twitter comments uh suggesting it is a little high and all of a sudden the the, everything started turning and we started seeing more and more of a sell-off we've had more comments from people that the crypto crowd usually ignore if i'm honest so like janet yellen um questioning its use uh, usability uh it's questioning uh um how efficient it is um uh, and things like that and that seems to have weighed on it as well which is interesting because like I said, this these are comments which are normally ignored from the kind of mainstream um elon musk's twitter feed can can give it a kick in either direction but usually the kind of established elite are the ones that t- tend to get quite ignored unless they're saying something positive um, and that kind of sent it lower as well and now you wonder whether the kind of overall risk mood in the markets is dragging a bit because it is a risk asset i mean it's a highly highly speculative risk asset uh, and therefore if we're seeing markets falling more generally then you would expect that that will take its toll on speculation as well um so it's maybe this is having an effect and again when we're talking frothy markets there isn't anything frothier than uh, than bitcoin apart from maybe gamestop
1: indeed now uh, it promises to be a big week next week for rishi sunak chancellor of the exchequer of course because he's Already got his second budget. Um, Wasn't long in the job last year. It seems like such a long time ago when the House of Commons was full to the brim. Just two or three weeks, I think it was, before the lockdown. It's incredible to think how packed it was. And then within a few weeks, everybody was stuck at home. But this is a big moment for Rishi Sunak, isn't it? And former Prime Minister David Cameron has warned him this week that tax rises, quote unquote, wouldn't make any sense at all. He's compared the COVID crisis to a wartime situation. Uh, This is a rare intervention from a former prime minister, I have to say. He says he doesn't believe that taxes should be increased until the UK has fully emerged from the lockdown. It is, that old word again, a big balance, isn't it? Balancing the public finances and making sure that businesses can prevail and can survive when they come out of lockdown. So he's got a tough job ahead in the next few days, ahead of that announcement on Wednesday.
0: Well, I guess uh, you you could argue he's had the easiest job of any chancellor for a long time over the course of the last year because he's been the chancellor giving everything away furlough schemes and everything and business rates relief the, the type of things that chancellors would love to do but um, have found it very difficult to do for quite some time and now the hard work really begins obviously he's had um uh, the, the good job obviously in the terrible circumstances but this is where the hard decisions are now having to be made because now we're coming out of it you have to find a way to try and pay for the what what what, what we've been handed over the course of the last 12 months and i don't think there's going to be an enormous amount of that in this particular budget but it seems that there are going to be a few announcements and uh, i'm probably in agreement with david cameron that it's probably not the time you want to get through the recovery in 2022 is probably going to be more feasible but I think uh, I think Sunak may want to just uh, state his intention and we may just see some kind of stealth tax hikes, so things that won't affect the vast, vast majority of people and also lay out plans, the talk being that we're going to see corporation tax, for example, uh, being increased over the course of the next five years, and that's an announcement we could get from uh, the budget early next week. But I think apart from that, it is going to be, mostly, um, it is going to be most, mostly growth incentives. Again, it's going to be extension of the furlough scheme. We now have a path to exit the lockdown current furlough scheme runs to the end of april so i think we're going to see an announcement on that to the end of june things like business rates etc support for businesses Uh, i think all of this is going to be pushed back effectively to the end of june and then maybe even some growth incentives as well so i think there's going to be some uh, tax hikes within this but i don't i think these are going to be hikes that are going to have minimal if any effect on the vast vast majority of people at this stage and it's probably going to be as i say kind of taxing by stealth and apart from that the corporation tax i think is the big one uh, and it is a bit risky but we have to remember that we do have the lowest tax rate of <laughs> of any of the the major economies yeah 19 percent isn't it exactly and yes a rise to 25 percent would be quite punchy but uh, if if the U.S. raises their tax rate, it would still, I think, make us the most competitive. So we're not exactly talking anything overly extravagant. Obviously, though, it's not something that the the Conservative Party in particular is going to back. And to be fair, even Keir Starmer uh, has said this isn't the time for raising taxes. Uh, but even in even in best of times, I don't. This isn't something that the the Conservative Party is going to necessarily get fully behind the idea of raising taxes, especially in a post-Brexit Britain when the prospect of lower taxes and, and competition was. Uh, was kind of one of the things that they they they, they saw as a, one of the opportunities that we had. Um, so this may send the wrong message. But like I said, a lot has changed in the last 12 months and the bill has to be paid somehow or at least we have to start moving in that direction, unfortunately, because of the amount that this crisis has cost.
1: don't think I can ever remember a situation where the Labour Party were against tax rises and the Conservatives, the government were for it. This is a yeah. bit of a one-off, really. I mean, with the corporation tax, I suppose you could say, well, it's a tax on profits. It is a, a difficult call. I think 25%, that is punchy.
0: Yeah, and I think this is just one of the areas where the opportunity existed, because raising income taxes is a, a lot harder and a lot more politically sensitive. The argument obviously against corporation taxes, we need taxes to be low so that jobs can be created so that we can get back to full employment. Um but there's always an argument not to raise taxes on something and to cut instead. It's it's Like I say, the the real tough job for the Chancellor starts now because he's he's got a, a, a very difficult job on his hand over the next three years.
1: Okay, very interesting to talk about this uh, same time next week. We've also got the non-farm payroll figures from the United States uh, next week as well. Uh, what do you think markets are expecting there?
0: So it's it's just a, a modest uh, expectation. I think it's around 133,000 jobs. But what kind of makes this all the more important and all the more interesting is how the markets are trading right now. The fact that we're we're seeing I think the Fed kind of sees it as the bond markets are reacting to growth. The bond markets are reacting to uh, an acceleration in 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 the economic recovery. Uh, the equity markets maybe suggest. Slightly uh, otherwise um, but what it means is that we're in a situation come next Friday where we we could be talking about bad news being good news good news being bad news again if we see a jobs report and it's three hundred thousand jobs created rather than one hundred and thirty three for example, a market's going to celebrate that or are they going to see that as a sign that further more inflation that were that the economy is going to be not just overheated but it's going to be dramatically overheated how will they respond to positive news uh, that that's so the thing that's what makes next week's jobs report all the more interesting janet yellen's already said that with the with the stimulus package that the democrats are currently proposing 1.9 trillion dollars that the us could be back to full employment next year um and if the economy performs even better in the short run then the risk of the economy overheating becomes more feasible uh, at least and um and that like I say it we could just be back in the, one of these very strange situations where you've got the central bank calling it Uh, a a recovery sign uh, and you've got the market saying it's an inflationary sign and when the really good data appears who's celebrating.
1: Indeed and uh, the other big story for next week we should look out for, OPEC are they going to turn the taps on again or are they quite happy with the way things are at the moment?
0: So OPEC plus meets next week uh, the plus being Russia and one or two others Um, the two key players obviously in all of this are still Russia and uh, and saudi arabia just to recap the at the meeting back in january saudi arabia allowed small increases in production for russia and, and kazakhstan i think it was seventy five thousand barrels um so very small in in, in in reality but then to offset that they actually cut a million barrels unilaterally uh, themselves uh and and that really got markets on board it, it sent oil prices rising again and they 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 agreed to do that until the end of March. So now we're talking about the meeting next week, and it's basically talking about uh, April's production levels. So not only will Saudis have expired their their commitment to reducing by a million barrels, but there's talk of the potential agreement for a half a million barrels a day coming back across the group so this would effectively be 1.5 million barrels and even that may not get um, may get full uh, backing from the group there's going to be members who want to increase production quicker oil prices brent crude at 65 dollars as we speak has been higher in recent days um, they're back at extremely healthy levels and The economic recovery is expected to be even better uh, than people were expecting. We're seeing the vaccine rollout as being a massive success. And the thing that countries like Russia and a few other producers may be wary of is that oil prices at these levels actually produce create an opportunity for us shale to start ramping up production so you've got these combating forces that we've talked about before saudi arabia wants higher prices russia wants uh, to um to keep uh, uh, to to reduce the influence of us shale as much as possible so while a million and a half barrels coming back online seems obvious and seems like it's a win for all sides, I'm not sure it's going to be that simple. And I think that's why we're seeing some momentum drop, drop out of the oil rally now is because it's seen that the last couple of meetings have been difficult. They've lasted longer than anticipated. And the last, like say in January, it was Saudi Arabia unilaterally acting to ensure that an agreement gets over the line. I'm not sure they were going to be willing to do so. Again, the question is, how do you then bridge the gap between what Russia wants uh, and what Saudi Arabia wants and everything in between? So I think it's going to be a really interesting meeting.
1: Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. Have a very good weekend. Thank you.